Take your Bibles and turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. A number of years ago when I was uh, working with the young people here uh, and uh, taking them on various trips and going to camp outs and Six Flags and camps and whatever else there was, uh, I often uh, sang with them in the van. Uh, that was probably something they want to re not remember. But uh, we would sing nonsense songs of uh, various types, and uh, some, of the, some of the kids probably still remember that. One of my favorite nonsense songs was I Told the Witch Doctor. Do you remember that great classic? That's back when music was really music, you know. Okay, I, I'm going to read a few lines of, the, of that song, one of my favorite nonsense songs of all times. I told the witch doctor I was in love with you. I told the witch doctor I, uh, I was in love with you. And then the witch doctor, he told me what to do. Now here is his great advice for the one who is in love. He said, ooh ee ooh ah ah, ting tang wada wada bing bang. Ooh ee ooh ah ah, ting tang wada wada bing bang. You can tell I have that memorized. <laughs> well after that sage advice, uh, he turned back to the witch doctor and he asked another question related to what he just had asked. He said, I told the witch doctor, you didn't love me true. I told the witch doctor, you didn't love me nice. I, and then the witch doctor, he gave me this advice. Ooh, ee, ooh, ah, sing with me. Uh, <laughs> ooh, ee, ooh, ah, ting, tang, wada, wada, bing, bang. Ooh, ee, to, you know this. Uh, I mean, bang, all right. Well, you know, the, the interesting thing about that particular song is the message. Did you learn a lot about love from the witch doctor song? I mean, he, he gave all this advice and this guy kept going back to him, getting more advice concerning love and so forth. And the message he got was this gargly goop of some kind that nobody understood. There was no advice, there was no help, and so forth. And that's, that's what that song was about. It's simply a, a nonsense, fun song that, that did that. Now, I don't in any way want to be disrespectful or snide or anything along that line, but I thought of that song as I'm thinking about our text today concerning uh, speaking in tongues. I know that many people are very sincere in that regard, and I, I appreciate them. Many of them love the Lord greatly. But uh, as we will see in our passage today, the Apostle Paul is saying that the messages that people give in tongues are, are much like the witch dog, which, what is it? Witch doctor song that uh, really doesn't help us understand much of anything about the Christian life. Now, as I think about that, uh, I remember just a little review from a couple of weeks ago that prior to the 20th century, uh, most throughout church history, most Christians did not think much about tongues. Very, very few practiced it. Most of those were cultic groups. But there were a few pockets of Christians that did that. And then later on, for some reason, a group of, of uh, Christians in the holiness movement in the 1800s decided that there, was, there had to be a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that second baptism of the Holy Spirit would bring about power and it would bring about uh, holiness and so forth. And so that was uh, a doctrinal uh, shift in that particular group. But then there was a person out of that group by the name of Charles Parham. He was a minister who uh, believed uh, that, that not only was there this second baptism, but the evidence of that second baptism was speaking in tongues. And therefore, he began with a group of students he had in a very small Bible college he formed. They began to pray diligently for the Lord to give them the ability to speak in tongues as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
uh, one night uh, on New Year's Eve, after praying all night long for the gift of speaking in tongues, one lady on January the 1st, one young lady, January the 1st, 1901, uh, broke out in tongues. And she, she prayed in tongues for a very long time. Uh, that, is the signature, that, is, that is the birthdays of Pentecostalism, many believe, and of speaking in tongues. And that mark of speaking in tongues has become the sing a signature mark for many of those that are involved in the Pentecostal and charismatic movements. But, uh, but in, in, in that, since that time has spread throughout all the world so that there are millions upon millions of those who claim the name of Christ that speak in tongues today as is evidence, they believe, of a second baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, there was a church in the New Testament that also was enamored by tongues, and that, of course, is the church at Corinth that we're looking at here. Uh, unfortunately, they had misunderstood the purpose of tongues, and because they misunderstood the purpose of tongues, they were misusing and even abusing the, the gift of tongues that they had. And as far as we know, this is the only church in the New Testament that even had an issue with tongues. It's not mentioned in any of the other epistles or any of the other churches there's three brief mentions of it in the book of Acts, and uh, no explanation of it there. The most, the most explanation that we have of tongues is found in our text right here before us. And you might ask the question, and rightly so, by the way, why in the world do we deal with this subject today? This is not something I necessarily am interested in or care about. So why are we, uh, why are we looking so carefully at this particular subject? Well, a number of reasons. First of all, it is a widespread phenomenon around the world, and many Christians uh, claim that they have this gift as an evidence of a, of a special second blessing of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, and more importantly, I guess, is because it's in the Bible. And uh, we are Bible teachers, we're Bible people. Uh, we study not only the parts of the Bible we like or are attracted to uh, and love, but also those parts of the Bible that might be difficult for us because God has put it in His Word for some reason. And we want to understand what that reason is. And then maybe finally, if in fact the gift of tongues is, is available today, and we should be speaking in tongues, as many say that we should, then we should be speaking in tongues, all of us. Uh, we, should, we should hunger for it. We should learn how to do it. We should gravitate toward it. We should make it a central piece of our worship and Christian life if it is available today and if it's what God wants us to, to do. If it's not something God wants us to do, uh, then the Word of God should have made, uh, made that clear. And so as we go to 2 Corinthians chapter, or 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're looking at Paul building an argument saying that the gift of tongues in the local church is useless. Okay, the gift of tongues in the local church is useless. Then he goes on to talk about, and we'll look at this next week, the gift of tongues in private devotions is useless. This is a corrective. Paul is correcting these people for chasing after something that had little value whatsoever, and yet it made it a signature mark and a very central piece of their worship and of their Christian lives. He is correcting them. He's telling them, you have gone in the wrong direction. So, Folks, it's so easy to be distracted by so many things, and this is the one that was distracting this church from being what God wanted them to be. And so as we begin to look at that, Paul gives us four reasons why there is, the tongues have no place whatsoever in the gathering of the local church. He gives four. We looked at two of them already, verses 1 and 2. Tongues are not understandable. They're much like the witch doctor song. They can't be understood. He says in verse 1, pursue love. Yet, 
desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but his spirit speaks mysteries. And so he is saying that tongues are not understandable in the gathering of the church. Secondly, tongues do not build up anyone. And we'll talk about this a little more later. But look at verse 3. He says, but one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. And one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Tongues do not edify or build up anyone. And as we'll see as we go on, the gift, the purpose of any spiritual gift is edification or building up one another. Now we move on today, verses 5 and 6, we see a third reason why tongues are, have no value in the local church gathered, and that is because they profit no one. Paul says in verse 5, he says, Now I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy, and greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets, so that the church may receive edifying. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will you profit unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Paul's contrasting verses 5 and 6, the gift of tongues and the gifts of prophecy. And the gift of tongues comes out very inferior to the gift of prophecy. Let's start with tongues. Why is it inferior? In verse 5, he says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. And this is a, a statement taken out of context, that is plastered all over the stationery of those that, that are excited about speaking in tongues. I wish you all spoke in tongues. So is Paul saying that all of us, all Christians, should be speaking in tongues? Is that what he means by this? If so, he's contradicting himself of what he has just said in chapter 12, uh, even in chapter 13 to some degree. Now look, well, we know the scripture never contradicts itself. And we know that we can prove anything we want to if we take Scripture out of context. Right? So we must always keep it in its context. The context here is chapters 12 through 14, where you're dealing with this whole subject of gifts, including tongues. So we have to be careful with that. I read in a book recently on, on uh, the study of Scripture, interpretation of Scripture, uh, a man who said he was on a walk, and he saw a bumper sticker on a car that said, Pray for Biden. And he was convicted by that. Kurt today led us in prayer for our governmental leaders. You know, that's scriptural. And he felt convicted because he doesn't pray much for the governmental leaders, he said. Most of us probably don't either. And we don't pray for Biden in particular. We complain a lot about things, but we don't necessarily pray about those things. And so he was convicted by that. And uh, after all, scripture says, pray for your leaders, that you might have a tranquil and calm life. And so uh, he prayed immediately for the President of the United States, uh, but the but bumper sticker also included a verse of scripture that he was not familiar with. Uh, the reference on that scripture was taken from the book of Psalms 109 verse 8. Well, he wasn't familiar with that, so he quickly turned to his phone and ran that verse up. And here's what that verse said. May his days be few and may another take his office. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> well, however you might feel about that... Uh, the context of Psalm 109 has nothing to do with praying for or against the President of the United States. Totally out of context, uh, but that's what the bumper sticker said. So you can prove whatever you want to if you do things like that. You mix, mix and match and shift around and grab verse or half a verse here and there. You can do that. But let's go back to chapter 12 for a moment. He says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. But let's go back to what he said in the end of chapter 12 as he leads up to this. Go back to verse 28. 
And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. As he ranks the gifts here, with the apostle and prophecy being at the top, at the bottom is gifts of tongues. And so we're talking about the, what he what would have to say is the most inferior of all the spiritual gifts. There's 19 spiritual gifts identified in the New Testament. And this one apparently is at the very bottom rung. Why, why centralize your life and your church around the most inferior gift that is identified here? So he's already said it's an inferior gift. Secondly, in verse 29, all are not apostles, are they? All are not prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? So in verse 29, although he's going to talk about the superiority of prophecy, he's going to say here, all are not prophets. So not everybody has that gift either. Verse 30, all do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? So he may have said that, uh, that uh, he wished they all spoke in tongues, but he's, he's making it very clear here, all do not have that gift. Only as God gives it to us, look at verse 11, by the way, the one and same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. God sovereignly chooses what gifts each of us have, and so he makes it very clear, all do not speak in tongues or interpret. And then he goes on to verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, I'll show you a more excellent way, and that excellent way is love. The problem was, the big problem, is that they were so fixated on tongues, and speaking in, in tongues, and, and all that went with that, they were so fixated with that, that they were neglecting what was really important, which was love. They wanted to show off, they wanted to have prominence, they wanted to be seen, they wanted to be heard, but they weren't showing love to one another. And so he spends all of chapter 13, as we've seen, on the importance of love in the body of Christ and with one another. So why, going back to chapter 14, why does Paul say then that, we, that he wished it all spoken tongues? Because tongues has a purpose. And when used as it was meant to be used is valuable. The purpose is found in verse 21 and 22 that I will detail carefully next week. I'll just read the verse here and make a comment. But look at verse 22 only right now. So then tongues are for a sign. Not to those who believe but to unbelievers. Okay, note that verse. People have come to me many times and asked me about what the purpose of tongues is. There's only one place in all the New Testament that tells us the purpose of tongues. It's verses 20, 21 and 22, the only place. And it's very clear that it's a sign of something, and it's a sign not to Christians, but to non-Christians. And I'll just say what it is. We'll come back and detail it next week. It's a sign of judgment to the unbelieving Jews, primarily for the rejection of Jesus Christ. Now, hang on to that. We'll come back to that next week. For right now, we need to move back to our passage. Let's stop off now at verse 6. He says, But now, brethren, if, it, if, you come, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will it profit to you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He says, uh, uh, if, if you don't use it as it was meant to be used as a sign and you just speak tongues in the church general, just general church services, then people will not understand your message. Does tongue have any value then? He said, yeah, if it's interpreted. 
But if it's interpreted, then we have basically prophecy because now we have a revelation from God given to the church. Interpretation then is necessary to make tongues valuable in the body of Christ when when it's gathered. Now, to be honest, this, this issue of interpretation is where many people recognize a problem here in modern day tongues. Keep in mind, tongues means languages. It does not mean ooh-ee-ooh-ah-ah. It does not mean gibberish. It means a, a language uh, that is unknown to the one who speaks it. And so it, when it speaks of that here, that has to be interpreted to be helpful. But it's here where people begin to realize there's a problem. Uh, if the language is not understood, then it has no value to the church. So you can say whatever you want to say, but if it has no value, what is it? Back, back when the uh, social justice movement was in its heyday two years ago, uh, one, one church leader said, it's no good having the same vocabulary if we have different dictionaries. And what he meant by that is during that time, people were saying racism, racist, justice, social justice, but they were giving different definitions to those words than we'd ever heard before. So what value is it using those words if we're using a different dictionary? What value is it to speak in tongues if nobody understands the meaning of what you're saying? That, that is what he's saying here. So we have this issue of interpretation. If tongues has any value in the gathering of the church, it's only if tongues are interpreted. But there's a problem in the modern movement. Many people have, uh, have examined this carefully and found it very much wanting. You, anyone can learn how to speak in tongues. There are courses you can take in churches on learning how to speak in tongues. You can fake it if you want to. If you've been around the right people and want to fake it, you can. But you can't do that with interpretation. And many have seen through the, the, the modern charismatic movement on the basis of that. For example, someone stands up and gives a long message in tongues and someone else gives a short interpretation. Someone stands up and gives a short message in sun, tongues and someone else gets up and gives a long interpretation. Uh, one, one Christian leader uh, that I've learned a lot from on this subject was actually going to uh, Bible college in a charismatic Pentecostal school in order to uh, become a pastor. But he had real questions about tongues and about the whole thing. And he just really didn't know. So he and a buddy of his were struggling. And they, uh, they, they started talking about it. And a friend said, who was a Jewish fella, he says, I can speak. I, I know how to, in, to uh, recite the 23rd Psalm in, in Yiddish. And so tomorrow in chapel, I'll stand up and recite the 23rd Psalm in Yiddish. And let's see what the interpretation is. And so he got up and he did that. And then over in the corner, the, the, the traditional girl that usually stood up and gave interpretations got up and said, the boys are playing too much football. They're goofing around too much. They're not studying enough. And went on and on about that. And the, he, he and his friend looked at each other and realized this is a hoax. She had no idea what he was saying. She just said what she wanted to say. Uh, tongue speaking has been recorded and then taken to numerous people that claim they have the gifts of interpretation. And so five or six people hear the same message. All of them come up with six different messages from that speaking in tongues. And someone says, well, that's okay. God can give more interp- than one interpretation from a message in tongue. If so, tongues have no value whatsoever. Why do I skip it all together and go straight to prophecy? 
And so when we look at this issue of interpretation in the modern movement today, interpretation shows us that the gift of tongues is not present today as it was here at this particular moment because it had a purpose. Now, why was prophecy superior? Look at verse 5. I wish you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you might prophesy because of prophecy's value. Now, I got to define prophecy. Some have said prophecy is just preaching. It's identical to preaching. So when I stand up here and preach, that's prophecy. I don't think that fits the, the scripture that we find in scripture at all. Prophecy was a divine word from God. It was a divine message from God. We see it throughout the Bible. Sometimes a, a prophet would give a prediction of the future, the coming of the Lord, and details about that, or, or the, the millennial kingdom that is coming, all sorts of details about the future. But often prophecy in the Old Testament, we look at Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and so forth, often the prophecies are simply declarations from God, revelations from God, where God is telling the prophet to say such and such to the people there. And they, they, but it's a divine revelation a word directly from God. That's prophecy. Inspired preaching. Revelation directly from God through a prophet uh, to the people. Now, is that tr happening today? Is there prophets today? So let me take you just a moment to say no. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 20 says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation has been laid and once that is laid, the, the, the prophets and the apostles their ministry was no longer necessary. Let me show you a couple verses. Go back to Hebrews chapter 1. Do, are we, are we, the question on the table then, are we receiving prophecies and divine revelations still today? Look at what he says in Hebrews chapter 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets and in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the world. There is two points of revelation, two periods, eras of revelation in the prophets in the Old Testament and in Jesus Christ and those that he commissioned. Go over to chapter 2 verse 3. How do we know what Jesus said? Well we're told in verse 3 of chapter 2. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those who heard, the apostles. God also testifying with them by, by signs and wonders, by various miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. Or we know from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, that the apostles and the prophets had the gift, these special miracle gifts to authenticate their message. And they were the ones that told us what Jesus said. They were the ones that gave us the New Testament. And so we have these two eras of, of, of revelation, the Old Testament and the New Testament from Christ on. If we go, we just shift on back a little further, go back and stop at 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, as Peter writes this passage uh, toward the end of his life. He says this to his readers, 2 Peter verse three, ver, chapter 3, verse 2, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. So who has handed down to us the message of God? The prophets and the apostles. And he says you need to go back and remember what they said. 
He isn't saying look forward to new prophecies and new apostles and new prophets. He says remember what they said which the Lord through the Spirit has given us in the Scriptures. And then of course chapter 22 of Revelation as that book, the last book of the Bible is completed. Uh, we have these very uh, solemn words, this great warning to us. He says in verse uh, 18, 22, 18, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this book, of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which are written in this book. So as the last book is written, this prophetic book is written, he says, anybody wants to add to this? Anybody wants to take away from this? will face the wrath of God. That's serious stuff, isn't it? And I don't know how you can get around that. The Reformers, when they stepped up in, in the 1500s, this was the basic issue. For centuries, the church, the Middle Evil church, had been adding to Scripture. Tra- revelations, uh, mysticism, traditions, and so forth. As a result of that, the church had been deformed. The, Re- the Reformers stood up and said, Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. We will add nothing to Scripture. We'll take nothing away from Scripture. To add anything to Scripture is to distort the authority of the Word of God. And that has been the hallmark since the Reformation of the biblical-based churches. So going back to our passage now, with that, at this short detour, we come back now to verses 7 through 12. Tongues are not useful in the church because they profit no one. Second, Actually, fourth in our list Tongues also confuse people. They're of no value in the church because they confuse people. Look at um, uh, three illustrations that Paul gives us of that, of what that looks like. He starts with music in verse 7. Yet even lifeless things, either flute or harp, in producing a sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or the harp? So he starts with music. Uh, have, you ever, have you ever had a child or maybe yourself who was learning music, learning to play an instrument? Isn't that painful? Yeah? That is a painful thing until they learn how to actually do it. Uh, once they get it down, it's different. But as they're learning, it's painful because they can't play the tunes. They can't play the notes. Same thing is true of an orchestra. You see an orchestra warming up. And if you don't know anything about music like me, you hear them playing all sorts of crazy stuff that doesn't fit together. But once they begin to play together, there's this great harmony. And so he says if you have a, a musical instrument like a, like a flute or a harp, but they can't play the notes, all you have is confusion and, and chaos and senseless noise. Of what value is that? It's, all this does is cause confusion. Drop down to verse 23 for just a second. Paul kind of illustrates this. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues and ungifted or unbelievers enter, will they say, not say that you are mad? <laughs> They're not impressed with uh, everybody speaking in tongues. They think you're crazy. They think something strange has happened. It's not impressive to them. And so he is saying here, unless the, unless the sound can be understood, uh, music is just confusing and of no value. We have a tradition in our immediate family of singing happy birthday to one another in such a way that would, is so awful and so horrendous that uh, I can't imagine anybody enjoying what we do 
which is why we do it. So we, we, we sing happy birthday. Everybody sings their own notes, their own key, up and down. It, it's, it's actually quite irritating. And, and you would never want to do that in, in another setting except in our living room where we're singing to one another. It, it, call, it is no profit to most people, he says. Now look, if, you, if, you, if a flute or a harp, we can't understand the tune, it has no value. Secondly, the, how about an army bugler? Verse 8, he says, If the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the, the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. So he says, if the bugler, this is even more serious, if the bugler, it can't be understood. We don't know what he's doing. And so he plays, he plays charge, but the army thinks it's retreat. That's going to cause problems. Even worse, if he plays, uh, he says retreat, and they charge into battle. There's going to be mayhem. And so the, the bugler must be distinct. He must be clear. We must understand what he is saying. Verse 9 applies this. It says, so also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be known what is spoken? For you'll be speaking into the air. That's his application. You're just speaking into the, into the air. It is of no value. Now, maybe he has in mind here uh, people talking to themselves. Now, let me get a poll here. I like polls. Nobody, I, I don't believe in them, but let's do it. How many of you speak to yourself quite regularly? Good night. Bunch of, <laughs> we got a bunch of nutcases here, right? Okay. I suppose we all do it most part of the time. I'm walking around the church sometimes, and I hear somebody carrying on a big conversation in one of the rooms here somewhere. And I walk on by, and I look in. Who are you talking to? Well, just to myself. That loud? <laughs> that, that much? Well, I do it all the time. I hear people say that all Matter of fact, I think all of our secretaries talk to themselves. After working with me for a, a couple of years, you have to talk to yourself, I think. But, you know, uh, you're just speaking into the air. Who hears this stuff? Who are you benefiting if you talk to yourself? It's just speaking into the air. And then the, the third illustration is languages. Verse 10 to 12, there are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. They don't understand each other. So you also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So languages, many languages, and that's what tongues are. He says, but, but you have a lot of people speaking languages that nobody understands. What value is that? You get five people together and speak five different languages that nobody understands. Who is helped by that? Who understands anything of that if we do that? Virtually no one. Now, I've told this story many times, so some of you old timers remember this, but back in the, in the mid-1990s, I went over to Spain to, to, to be with Don and Denise Tucker, and uh, Don was uh, working with his church uh, in, a, in a room that they had for the church and practicing music. And it was all in Spanish, so I didn't understand anything. And I knew they were going to be there a while, so I decided to take a walk around the, the city there. So I took off, was walking around the city, enjoying myself, uh, looking at the sights. And then a procession started. Now, the procession, if you don't know, in, the, in many Catholic countries, is like a parade, but with a religious theme, a, a passion theme. So I'm walking around, I'm already kind of confused as where I am, and suddenly I turn around and it looks like a million people are on the streets. 
The sidewalks are lined with people everywhere. This parade is coming down the street with all sorts of, uh, of uh, floats and, and uh, people with all sorts of wrappings on and so forth. And here I am. I cannot find my way back. And so I begin to ask people on the street in English uh, where the church is because Don's group was close to a Catholic church that was in that little city. And I knew what, that was my, my mark, but I lost it when all those people came out. And so I started asking people, and not a person, apparently in all of Spain, speaks English. I mean, it's a miraculous thing. And, and I couldn't speak Spanish, so we were just stymied. I, nobody understood what I was saying. Uh, I started, uh, so I, I drew a picture. And if anybody ever seen my artwork, you can understand. It's worse than my singing, believe it or not. If, you can understand why we couldn't see it. But I drew a picture of a church, a little steeple on top and all. And I started pointing to people, where's that at? They just looked at me like, are you nuts? What's wrong with you? And here I was. When I, was I didn't know if I could, I could still be there. I could be speaking Spanish and staying right there. I would never come home. But somehow, and I don't even remember how now, miraculously I found my way back and I was rescued. Nobody understood me and I understood nobody else. What a chaos. What a mess. And so he's saying that right here. Here's the same thing. If you do Speaking languages, nobody understands, nobody benefits, nobody profits. And so if you speak in tongues and nobody understands it, you are not profitable to the church. And that's his argument. But verse 12 caps it off in this section. He says, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, you're all excited about gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. So how should you use your spiritual gifts? So back up again to chapter 12, verse 7. He's already told us the answer to this. And when he's talking more generally about gifts, he said this. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, that's the gifts, for what reason? The common good. Every gift that God has given, all 19 of them, has one purpose, building up other believers. Building up the body of Christ. No gift is given to build me up. No gift is given for me individually to, to hoard to myself. No, all gifts are given for the good of the, of the body. The manifestation of the body. Building up the body. So when we go back to verse 12. And we see this verse that says that, that we are then, if we want to go after gifts, abound for the edification of the church. Which is a word that means building up of the church, to build up the church. So every gift has this singular purpose, building up one another. Uh, that's why we come together as a body of Christ. That's why the virtual church during the lockdowns didn't work, because you can't use spiritual gifts if you're not with one another. We have to be together as a body of Christ in order for those gifts to edify and build up one another. Probably one of the best passages is Hebrews chapter 10, on this subject. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25. What a powerful passage this is. It says, now let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Not forsaking the assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So apparently some at this uh, group of Christians that, that the Hebrews was being addressed to were actually pulling away from g gathering. 
Maybe they didn't want to gather for whatever reason. We don't know. But for whatever reason they weren't gathering. He said, look, do not forsake the assembling together. If possible, there are always exceptions. But if possible, you come together. You come together for what purpose? You come together to consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That you might encourage one another. That you might pray for one another. That you might strengthen one another. And stimulate, that's an interesting word, stimulate one another to do love, things of, actions of love and of good deeds. Even as they follow your example and your encouragement for them. Not forsaken or assembling together is a habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, I would say this on a, on a negative side of this. Uh, you, if you examine your own life, when you're not in the presence of God's people on a regular basis, when you're not, you don't make being together, even coming together like this, a part of your regular life, then you will find yourself more and more discouraged in the Christian life. I will guarantee that. You'll find yourself wondering what your purpose is. You'll find yourself struggling to know why I do what I do as a Christian. You'll probably lose some connection with the Lord himself. Why? Because the Lord did not save solos. He saved us individually, but he saves us to be a part of a body, the body of Christ that functions together, that loves together, that builds together, that lifts one another up. When one hurts, we all hurt. When one mourns, we all mourn. When one is cheerful, we're all cheerful. That's the body of Christ. And that's how the Lord caused us to function. And so when he comes to the issue of tongues, he is saying tongues don't do any of that. Tongues doesn't encourage. It doesn't instruct. It doesn't teach. It doesn't stimulate one love and good deeds. It does the opposite if they cannot be understood. And so he says in the church, tongues are useless because they cannot be understood. They build no one up, they profit no one, and they confuse people. Yet many have continued throughout the world to use tongues as part of their regular worship time, their church services. But some in the, in the Pentecostal and charismatic movements have taken what I've looked at today with you seriously and said, well, apparently tongues do not have a place in the worship of the public worship of God's people. But they do have a place in the private worship, the devotional life of the Christians. And Paul is going to go on to say next week as we look at that together that they don't have a place there either. And so we're back to our witch doctor. Uh, I'm going to read you the third verse of that. After getting this tremendous insight from the witch doctor about love and about why uh, she didn't love him, he goes on to ask another question. He said, he goes to the wizard, he said, you've been keeping love for me just like you were a miser, talking to his girlfriend, or what he wants to be a girlfriend, and I admit I wasn't very smart. So I went and find myself a guy who's so much wiser, and he taught me to how, the way to win your heart. My friend the witch doctor taught me what to do. My friend the witch doctor taught me what to say. And here's what he said. Ooh-ee, ooh-ah-ah, ting-tang, wada-wada-bing-bang. Ooh-ee, ooh-ah-ah, ting-tang, wada-wada-bing-bang. Now if you make that the hallmark of your marriage, <laughs> please call for counseling sessions later in the week. Because there's no instruction here. There's no information here. There's no help here. This is nonsense. And I don't in any sense want to be derogatory towards good Christians who, who are confused on this area. But this is exactly what Paul is saying. 
A misuse of tongues is a misuse of tongues. There's a purpose for them. We're going to see what that is next week. But it's not, the purpose is not to come together and use tongues in the gathering of God's people in worship. Well, like I said, this is not a passage of scripture I'd probably ever choose to preach from, except the Lord gave it to us in his word. And we have to know what God has for us to believe and how to live. Join me in prayer. Father, I pray with clarity right now, with words that make sense. I pray to you who understands all things. And I pray before these people, Lord, with words that, that are clear. Lord, may we uh, not look down on anyone who is different from us. We don't desire to do that. But at the same time, may we desire to know what your word teaches. And may we live it. And Lord, may we, as, as made the, the main emphasis really of this passage, may each and every one of us desire in any way we can to live in such a way that we edify one another, we build up one another, we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, and we encourage one another in Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen.